Y'all look great. Do you feel festive? Which side is festive or more festive? Or this side? Neither, actually, it seems like neither side is festive at all. <laughs> Good job, Jay. <laughs> all right. Um, we are in a series called I'll Be Home for Christmas, and this series is all about uh, the, the prodigal son story. It's in Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, I, I thought, you know, we read it last week, and then I thought, well, this week we can just reference it, but that seems like a, not a good plan, right? It's the Word of God. We should probably read it. Um, it wouldn't hurt us to hear the prodigal son story three weeks in a row, right? And then just so you know, a lot of what, um, well, I was going <laughs> to say, a lot of what I'm talking about is based on a book by Tim Keller, but I don't think that's fair to Tim Keller because his book's a lot better than what I've been doing. Um, but next week, next week we have a copy of the book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller for everybody who's here. Um, it, it'll only cost you 20. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know that's not how we roll. It's yours. It's, we just appreciate you being here. We appreciate you being planted here. And so as you leave next week, either they'll be in your seats when you come or you'll get them on the way out. But um, just make sure you take that book, read that book. I will say this, I, I read a lot, and so I don't often say things like, this book will change you, because sometimes you just read books, you're like, that's a good book, you put it away, but this book literally changes the way that you'll see the prodigal son story. There's too much stuff that I, I can, I'll never be able to cover it all, and he is amazing. Um, if you've ever read anything by Tim Keller, then you're thinking right now, oh God, I can't even understand him. Anybody ever read anything by him? I read every page like three times, right? By the end of the page, I'm like, I don't even know what I read. have to go back again. Um, but this book is not like that at all. You'll, well, you probably could read it in a day. It's short, it's, and it just shines so much light on this story. Um, anyway, you'll love it. So when we get done with all these weeks of teaching, and you're like, God, that was, that was good, Paul, but like, I wish there was more. There is. It's in that book, right? So you'll just take it and, and, and love it. Um, all right, so let's, let's do this. Let's just read the story again. It's Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered wealth in wild living. Can we have some crowd participation here? Could everybody just go boo? Because that's usually what we do, right? We read the story, we hear about the younger son, and we're like, what a, what a jerk. Like, he wanted his dad to be, it's like, dad, you're as good as dead to me. Can you hear, like, the mob voice when he says it? You know, give me my money, I'm out of here. And he goes off and he squanders it. And we typically make him the villain. As we learned last week, how many of us are prodigals? Yeah, we're all prodigals, right? We're all prodigals. After he had spent everything, because remember, the younger son squandered the father's provision. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He was a Jew. Pigs were nasty. You might think they're nasty still, but I love bacon right as a matter of fact this is totally a, a side note but i had the best bacon i've ever had this week okay that's enough just 
Ham's good too, but bacon, y'all. Everybody say bacon. Sizzle, sizzle. Um, so for a Jew to be, be anywhere around pigs, this, you can see how low his life has gotten, yes? And then it got even worse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So not only did he want pig food, but no one would give it to him. When he came to his senses, um, by the way, that's the verse that we're in today. Just one whole message about one verse. When he came to his senses, some translations say when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm not trying to teach this as we go through it, but I just want to make a couple notes. Did you notice how he knew his father was generous? He didn't say, how many of my father's hired servants have just barely what they need? They have food to spare. Nobody gave servants food to spare. So he, are, he remembered, my father is a generous man. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. If you um, are like the younger son, the enemy will always attack your identity. Always. And what you have done, will, he'll always try to convince you that you're no longer worthy. See how the, how the son remembered the father's character and right after remembered what he had done wrong? So my father's great, but I'm so bad now, he'll never receive me. So I wouldn't even dare to go back and be his son. I'll just go back and be a slave. But, everybody say but. There are big butts in the Bible. This is one of them, right? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I can't go into it right now, but Christine Kane says compassion crosses the street. Don't tell me you have compassion for people if you won't do something about it. Today is the big give. Do not tell me you have compassion for people who are suffering and hurting if you can't give something today to the big give. Compassion crosses the street. Compassion moves. That was good, y'all. That's good because my mother-in-law's here. Wendy's mom is in the house. It makes me a much better preacher every time she comes. Thank you so much. She's like, you go, Paul. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, here's another big but, because the father interrupted the rehearsed speech. Did y'all recognize that? Did you see that he didn't get to say everything he practiced? The father interrupted him and said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Anybody want to guess who owned the best robe? The father. He put him, his own robe on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatty calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Can we have some applause right here? Can we just celebrate a little bit? Go. <laughs> woo, 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 woo. <laughs> <laughs> and all of us wish it ended there, right? Because we could all walk away feeling good about ourselves. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. I don't think that was the answer that the son expected. I think the older son expected the servant to say, your dad, has th- he's throwing a surprise party for you. For all the work you've done over all these years. Because that's what the older son wanted the whole time anyway. So he became angry and refused to go in. That's, that verse, it's hard to even see how that could even apply, right, to today's American Christian. Because we would never be offended and refuse to go into the Father's presence. Because of something that the Father did that we didn't understand. So, we're, how many of us are prodigals? All. Because the younger son squandered the father's provision, but the older son squandered the father's presence. The father said, look, uh, he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, (laughs) that's like when parents say, you need to go talk to your child, right? Who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are, how often is he with the father? You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. He squandered the father's presence. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, last week, when we talked about the fact that we're all prodigals, we all need to come home. And home is a person, not a place, right? Home is the father. It's not necessarily a place. Which is why you could grow up in a house and then move away and then come back to that house. And if nobody lives in that house that you recognize, is it home? No. The very fact that the people that you love have been removed from that place makes that place no longer home. But let's say your parents had moved out of the house and moved to, I don't know, Hawaii. And you visited them in Hawaii. You'd be like, I've never been in this house. But wouldn't you feel like you were home? Of course you would. Right now, last week, don't be scared of the word theology. Okay, last week, that teaching didn't make any of us in this room walk out scratching our heads and going, I don't understand the theological implications of this sermon. Right, today's is a little different. Last week, we talked about prodigals, and today, we're going to talk about something that none of us can relate to (laughs) pain. Okay. And so today is going to stretch us a little bit, and I'm a, I, don't, I feel like the least qualified person in a way to talk about it because I'm so in it right now. But maybe that makes me really qualified because I'm in it right now, and we're just going to lean on the Word of God. And we'll let the Word of God speak to us about pain. But what I need to do first is I need to show you a really quick illustration because I need to stretch you a little bit. Can we do that? Okay, that was great. So let's just shut it all down and go home. <laughs> don't put it past me to get a new church all right I'm kidding I would never do that I would never do that so this is a really simple illustration and I just need because again last week when I say we're all prodigals I mean all of us can look in our lives and we can see places where we we squandered what God gave us and we've also come to church every now and then been like this is a waste of time which means we're squandering his presence we've all done it right can I get a head nod how many of us really feel like we have a grasp on pain. Not many of us, right? So just to kind of set this, never turn your back to the audience. This is my best side, y'all. All right. So there's a lot of knowledge in the world. Would you agree? 
like, stretch the world. Let's go universe. Like, all the knowledge that there is to ever have and obtain is a lot. So we're just going to let this circle right here, this, it's kind of more like an egg. It's a baby's head. Okay. So that circle, this represents everything there is, ever has been, and ever will be to know in the universe. Are you with me? Everything that we could know is in that circle. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I thought about having a contest because what I need to do is I need to find the smartest person in the room. And I knew if we did a contest, I would be out immediately. And it could be violent. So I've picked somebody. I've pre-picked somebody I've, I've cleared it with, with him. I've said to him, I feel like you might be the smartest person in the room. If, if he comes up here and you personally feel like you're smarter than he is, battle out in the lobby later, right? But I'm, I've, I've pre I don't think you're going to argue with this. Um, John Ball, I think you are literally the smartest man I know. So do you agree? John Ball. So, John, if you would please make your way to the platform, just keep clapping. Just, just really go crazy. Go crazy. Yeah. John, 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 John. This is why I'm not the smartest man in the room, right? So, John, I'm going to give you the pen. Now, here's what I want you to do. And I want you to be honest, right? Okay, so don't try to make my sermon good or whatever. But if this is all the knowledge in all of the universe, just I need you to put... Mark on here, just draw a circle, whatever, that represents how much of that knowledge you personally understand. Yeah, so like, I mean, of all the knowledge in all the universe, how much would you say that you understand and, and hold? <laughs> I, I don't know that I would argue with you, but... Okay. So... Can y'all even see that over there? Can we, can we zoom in on it? He's going to make it bigger so it's darker, but I don't know that he's, okay. He just got smarter, didn't he? <laughs> so he's made it bigger so you can see it or darker, but he, he really pretty much just did the, a pen mark. So just to make sure we're on the same page before we even tackle this topic. Of all the knowledge, and this is really not even to scale, because if we were going to really like all the knowledge, we would be circling this whole building and the street and the city. I mean, there's so much knowledge. So if this represents all the knowledge, then the smartest man in the room, as far as I know, feels confident that he has that much understanding of that much of the knowledge of all this. Are you with me? Thanks, John. John, 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 John. John's, John's up here smart, and I'm, just, I'm up here like, oh, this smells so good. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I tell y'all all the time, our church should have a windy cam. We should have a camera set right here, just, just on her face the whole time. If you could just watch her face. She just, and now her mom's here. So she's, I think she literally looked at her mom and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> me too. 
It's not going to get better. Sorry, honey. Okay, so I need you to hold on to this, okay? This is very important, all right? Because as we come to this topic of pain and suffering, um, I want you to know if you have questions about that, you're in good company. As a matter of fact, if you, if you research evangelism among atheists and agnostics, what we're talking about today, this is the number one reason why people check out on believing in God. I just don't know if I can believe in a God that would allow pain and suffering, right? So when I say we're coming to a topic, we're talking about something that really only God understands. We have such a small perspective of it. And, and so as we come to this topic, I want you to know when, when we get like, I just want to understand, that's because we're hurting, right? You ever been in a lot of pain and you just said to somebody, just make it go away. The doctor's like, well, we can try this. Do it. Right? Give me three of them. I mean, any, whatever you got to do, make this, just make it stop. That's how we come to God. Right? We just want it to stop because we're hurting. I want you to know, first of all, that your God understands that. This is going to be a very simple message, okay? Very simple message. I only got three points. Here's the first one. And don't laugh when I say it. Don't be like, well, duh. But here's point number one. Pain hurts. It really does. Um, I wish I could just show it to you now, but I'll just mention it to you again. Um, go home today and just Google Brian Regan, say eight. He's a fantastic comedian. He does this bit about going to the hospital, and when they ask you to rate your pain from one to ten, what number you should give, and he says, say eight, because the, the drugs are great. Anyway, um, you'll love it. The point is, in the hospital, they're asking you to rate your pain because they want to know what you feel, and, and pain hurts and we act like it doesn't right we personally go through things and we hurt and people say how are you doing fine i have intentionally through this season in our family's life tried to be very careful when somebody says how are you doing not to say great i'll say i i don't know how to answer that right now or i mean today's pretty good ask me again tomorrow right it's just we want to be honest about the fact that pain hurts. It's, it's the number one motivation behind trying, behind trying to understand it is that it hurts. So we want to understand why is this hurting me so that we can avoid it. Would you agree? Like if this hurts me, I'd like to figure out how to make it not hurt me. $740 billion is how much our country spends in a year. On alcohol, cigarettes, and illegal drugs. Now, I'm not saying that everything that we spend is related to pain, but I think we're safe to say most of that $740 billion is being spent in a way to avoid what people are feeling. There's a cost to pain. So when, when, when people say that, well, the presence of pain means that a good God can't exist, what they're really saying is that if God exists and God is good and God is powerful, why can't he make me stop hurting? Now, what I want you to know is all that they've done, and I do it too, is the minute you start to hurt, this huge universe of knowledge zooms into just that dot. And that becomes our entire world. And all we can see is our world and how we hurt. 
And it doesn't make any sense in our world because this is, we've just zoomed in so close that our entire universe is us. And so we, we, we can't figure out, like, just make it stop, God. And, God, if you were big and strong and powerful, why, why can't you make it stop? Which brings us to point number two. If pain hurts, it's also true that pain helps. Parents, raise your hand. One of the worst things I ever had to do was, um, I remember when Parker, he, God, he was like, I think two years old, we were at another church, and he was playing with, um, I was a youth pastor, so that was teenagers, and um, the, the teenagers were, they were smart enough to be able to run around metal poles and not lose their balance, and then Parker ran into it. And I still remember the day that Teresa Bundy came running down the hall. Like, she came running down the middle aisle, and she was just, like, holding Parker. And she was going, Paul, Paul. And I looked, and I just, all I saw was, like, her, I think she had, like, a white blouse that was turning red and blood everywhere. Because, you know, when you, when you hit your head, it bleeds a lot, you know. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a little illustration. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Just blood, blood was everywhere, and she was, like, bringing them down to me, and I was, like, I'm trying not to pass out, you know, the whole deal. And we had to, because I'm not a doctor for a very good reason. Um, blood is a deal. So we go to the hospital, and they had to, like, stitch him up. And I remember, like, he was screaming and crying, and I'm screaming and crying, and I'm sweating, and I'm holding on to him, mainly so I won't fall. And they put him in, they had to put him in this thing called a, papoose right and it like just kind of like a wraps him up so his arms can't get out and like and then I had to hold my son while they did whatever they did it sounded like staples I don't even like it was just oh, I'm gonna pass out now anyway if you've ever taken your kids to the doctor and you've held them down while the doctor gave them a shot and every child looks at you and says it's gonna hurt and every parent goes, oh, you know what? You're right. What was I thinking? Let's get out of here. No. Every parent's like, I know, but it's, it's good for you. You need this. This is not a political message on vaccinations. Okay? Don't go there, please. This is just about parents knowing what's better for their kids. And we're evil parents, right? We're human parents. God has all of this knowledge. And he knows that pain actually helps. I don't know why I get put, put in these medical positions where I have to be around stuff that makes me want to just pass out, but when Parker and Will were being born, um, they came seven weeks early. I know Wendy and I went to the doctor for like our normal doctor routine visit in Clover, Rock Hill, wherever it was. I think it was Rock Hill. And he just looked at her, did the exam thing, and just said, uh, y'all need to go to the hospital now. So like from his office to where we were going to be delivering, <laughs> we, where Wendy was going to be delivering was about a 30-minute drive. And I remember being in the car, and we were doing all the stuff, and I'm driving, and she's like <laughs> doing the breathing thing that makes you look like an evil person. Anyway, she's into it. <laughs> and then it got worse. And then I looked at her, and I was like, I said, I'm driving. I just went, I'll, you be Wendy. I just went. I bet these are the, the active labor pains <laughs> that they told us about in the class. I mean, y'all, she's the sweetest person on the planet, you know. I don't, I don't know what that face was, but it wasn't Wendy for a moment, right? <laughs> and I was nervous. Her head spun around. It was crazy. 
She was feeling some pain, right? We got to the hospital. They took their time, their sweet, sweet time with my sweet demon wife. And <laughs> they, were, they were like, just walk back. And we were like, we never done this. We're like, walk back. Okay. I mean, she's like, I think I still have permanent marks in my arm. We got back there. They came in. They, they finally gave her an epidural, which is a Greek word for, ah, oh, right? <laughs> but they gave it to her a little too late. So she had, didn't help her at all with Parker. And all I remember is, I don't know how fast twins are born together, but our, our sons were 22 minutes apart. And I remember um, the epidural, I don't think it ever fully kicked in, but it started kind of having an effect between births. And the, the, they started bringing things into the room. Like, I was, I'm not medical, right? But I was like, that, that can't be good. Like, there were things like to get Will out. Because they were, like, they were saying, like, do you feel like you need to push? And she was like, ah. And it, it's dawned on me that the pain of labor is to make sure you push the baby out. Like, get out. Stop hurting me. Right? Pain helps. And the fact that she suddenly, she didn't feel that urge, it was like, holy cow, we've got we to gotta give birth here. You're not quite done. Which was not good news, right? <laughs> what? Pain helps. There's an actual purpose to it. A couple, couple verses, just um, some passages for you just to jot down. Um, Psalm 22, verses 11 through 18. I want you to know this, that we serve a God who understands and feels pain. Okay, so here's what it says in Psalm 22. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near. No one else can help me. My enemies surround me. Like a herd of bulls, fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. <laughs> my heart is like wax, melting within me. My strength is dried up like a sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice from my clothing. This is a messianic psalm. And what that means is this points to Jesus on the cross. What I need you to know is that as we talk about pain today, Pain is in the Word, and then the Word became flesh, and the Word was in pain. We don't have a Savior who can't understand where we are. We have a Savior who has this perspective. And when we're zoomed in on just our pain, we need this. Pain helps. It motivates. It helps us move. So here's what I want you to write down. If, if pain hurts and pain helps, that's confusing, right? Then it's all about evaluation, okay? Now, we're never going to completely eliminate pain. So we'd better always properly evaluate pain. Our world is busy trying to eliminate pain. And I'm telling you, we're not going to be better for it. 
We'd be better if we could evaluate the pain. Understand why it's happening. Don't raise your hand because we don't want people to know that we're not smart. But how many of you, like me, can look at painful areas of your life and realize it's self-inflicted? Right? That's kind of where the younger prodigal son was. Remember that verse I said we're going to talk about today? He came to himself. He's feeding pigs. He's feeling the pain of no food in his belly, no more money. All the parties have stopped. I got no more. Nobody wants to hang out with me. So he went from being the life of the party to barely being alive. And he's feeling that pain, right? He's throwing stuff to the pigs, and he's like, what am I doing here? Have you had that moment where you just kind of come to yourself and your senses, and you're like, how did I even get here? I have any sleepwalkers in the house? Do you ever, maybe you don't, did you ever used to sleepwalk? I tried to get a snack late one night naked. <laughs> Literally. And that's not the worst part of the story. The worst part of the story is that my mom followed me and watched me. <laughs> and told me about it the next day. I'm super glad I didn't come to my senses at the fridge, right? That would have been terrible. You'd be like, wait, how did I get here? Mom! <laughs> if you've ever slept walked somewhere and then woken up, maybe you've been so sleepy that you drove home and got home and couldn't remember the trip. When you have that moment, you kind of come to yourself, and you're like, wait, how did I get here? The younger son had that moment where suddenly the world started to make sense. Like, I don't know how I got here or why I would even choose to be here, but now that I realize I'm here, what am I doing here? And the pain that he felt was used by God in that story to call him back home. I'm not going to be the pastor that tries to alleviate your pain. It's, it's good to hold people when we're hurting, yes? I've, I've said this so many, many times. When your children come to you screaming and they're hurting, I hope you're not the parent who goes, well, let's have a conversation about how you made a really bad choice. Yeah, I know you're bleeding all over the floor, but it's fine, whatever. Let me just teach you a lesson. No. Parents hold their hurting kids before they help them. They hold them before they heal them. We hold them. You have a father who wants to hold you. Did you see how he didn't teach his son a lesson when he came home? He recognized the pain had brought his son back home, and he simply ran out and held him, restored him. I'm sure at some point after the story's over, there was a conversation. Dude, can we just talk about money management for a second? Maybe that wasn't the best way to handle your investment or your inheritance, right? I'm sure there were conversations, but not in that moment. And so I want, I want us to read a few more verses, and then we'll wrap this up. I just want you to start to see how we can evaluate pain. And I think for the first question has to be, um, I'm not trying to be crass here, but like, did I do something stupid, right? Did I... Do something that I knew was going to probably end in pain. And if I did, I don't think I should do that again. Isn't that why whenever you touch a hot stove, you pull back? Can you imagine living your life without the ability to feel pain? And doesn't it sound really good at first? 
But then you start thinking about all of the infections that you would have in your body because you would just bump up against something that would cut you and you wouldn't even know. So you wouldn't go to the doctor to get healed, to get any kind of medication. And then some, at some point you'd look, look down and go, oh, that is just nasty. And it doesn't even hurt. And then they're cutting your leg off. Can you imagine being a leper? We read about leprosy in the Bible. And they just, like, literally couldn't feel parts of their body. And their, those parts would fall off and they wouldn't even know. Talk about just leaving bits and pieces of yourself everywhere you go, right? Like, that's a disease. It's not something that we should want. Pain helps us not be in that position. So learn from the pain, right? Like, get a perspective. Like, oh, I don't think I should do that. Sometimes pain happens and it's not self-inflicted. I think a lot of us in the room right now can relate to that, right? We're hurting from things that we did not choose. So let's end this morning with some of God's perspective. Romans 8.35. I'm just going to read a couple verses to you. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does that mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And, and Paul knew, right? You read his writings. He knew. He got it. He'd been in prison. He'd been flogged. He'd been shipwrecked. That man knew pain. And here he is saying, like, just because I feel pain doesn't mean that he doesn't love me. That's one great way to evaluate pain. It's the minute that we hurt, the enemy will tell us, well, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you hurt. And all you need to say to the devil is, well, um, I'm not as smart as God. And I've got a kid, and sometimes I let them hurt because sometimes I need to learn a lesson. And it's not that God's teaching you a lesson by making you feel pain. He's teaching you in the pain. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our, this is still Paul, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, everybody, if you're feeling pain right now, and I read that verse, if you're like me, because I just read it, and I just want to be like, Paul, come on, man. Don't call my pain small. Who do you think you are? And Paul would be like, well, I'm the guy who, and he would just list all the things that he listed right before this verse, shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, rejected, imprisoned. He's not saying that what we experience is small and doesn't matter. What he is saying is that they will produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. He's making a value statement, right? He's like, man, the pain that you feel right here, it's small compared to all that, right? 1 Peter 5.10 in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. If you've ever been through a season of a lot of just really intense pain and suffering, yet. Remember how you don't feel firm? Like you say things to God like, 
I mean, I know you're still there, but it just feels shaky. And I love the promise of that scripture, that he'll do all these, he'll restore us, he'll do all these great things, and he'll give us the firm foundation. There's something about pain that clarifies things, doesn't it? Um, I, I, we don't really have this problem here because we don't have carpet, but um, when, I, when I lost mom and, and my brother, that was a really intense time, right? It comes back every year this time because it was around this time. And I remember for a season, it was, there was this beautiful, painful clarity where church people would, as church people often do, they would start like arguing over the silliest things like the color of carpet or whatever. And I would just say to them, y'all, that stuff doesn't matter. There's this beautiful clarity that comes in pain. Like, let's just, this is what matters most, right? It's what all of us feel when we're saying goodbye to people that we love. And I will say this, if you've ever left a funeral and not gone home and hugged the people that you love, you've wasted a funeral, right? Like, it's a clarifying moment. Let's just go love the people that matter the most. So the last thing that I would want you to know is... um, That your, your relationship with Jesus, we know it's everything, but your relationship with Jesus is what's going to de- determine whether or not your pain is temporal or eternal. Okay? Listen to these verses from Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 say this, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no, they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. How many were judged? All. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus, then the pain that I feel here carries over into eternity. But, everybody say but. It continues, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. See, when we trust Jesus, that's why Paul was able to say these light and momentary trials are achieving for us a glory that lasts forever. We're all going to feel pain, right? All of us. Just like we're all prodigals, we all feel pain. The difference is when all of us die, some are going to continue to feel pain forever and some are not. And it has everything to do 
with how you evaluate the suffering and pain in your own life. See, I believe this, that when, when we allow, like the younger son, when we allow pain to bring us to ourselves, then we allow God to use pain to bring us to him. When we evaluate pain in our lives properly, God, I know that you're not mad, and I know that you're not making all this stuff happen to prove something to me about how bad I am, but it is happening, and something in me, while I hurt, something in me longs for you. That's the proper evaluation of pain in this world. It drives us home. And home is a person. It's not a place. And when we get that, when we get that, we do just what the younger son did. We turn around and we come back to the Father. Run to the Father was such a perfect song today. You know, we run back to the Father and find him running to us. So here's what I need you to do very quickly. I need you, I want you to, to close your eyes. I want you to think through what we've talked about, okay? Like pain hurts, pain helps, and it's all about evaluation. And I want you to take a moment before we, before we even transition to the giving part of today. I want you to take a moment and start to ask God to help you to evaluate the, the pain that you're feeling in your life. Every pain matters to God. Even self-inflicted pain matters to God. There's not a single thing that we feel that he can't use for our good. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not disappoint. We know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When I read those verses, I think about Wendy giving birth. And I think about the pain that she felt and how it was necessary for new life to be born. And that's exactly how I want you to see the pain in your life right now. Whether you caused it to yourself or someone else has caused it to you or things that nobody could control brought pain into your life, I want you to ask God, Lord, use this, use this, God, to develop endurance in me, develop strength of character, to develop character that strengthens my confident hope in you as my salvation. And do not let me be disappointed. I want you to pray that. Father, right now, God, I pray for people in the room who are hurting, people that are watching online, and they only clicked on it because the title said, Why Does God Allow Pain? And I pray right now, God, while we may never have an answer to all the parts of the universe that we do not understand fully, I pray that in our little dot, we would see Emmanuel, God with us. To think that you would come down to my little dot where I hurt so much and be Emmanuel with me in my pain and lead me to a place beyond it. God, that's the gospel. That's the Christmas story. And I thank you that we see it in the prodigal. And I pray right now in this room and those watching online, I pray, God, for people to have a moment where they come to themselves, realize where they are, and run back to the Father. Glorify yourself, God, even in our pain, I pray.
In your name, Jesus, amen.